Good morning, Grace. It's good to be with you this morning, and any of you who may be joining us, uh, we really appreciate you being with us. Somebody put these little guys in the sanctuary in order that we would have more company and more listening, and um, I think I'm going to name this little guy Razor because he sure could use one, and it's short for Razorback, I mean, right? So, ha, 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 ha. All right, well, it's good to see all of you. And we also have with us today a very special guest, uh, Buddy Seal. He's joined us today, and we're glad that Buddy could be with us. If you don't know Buddy, when we're able to get back together, uh, we'll introduce you to him, all right? Well, it's good to see all of you today and be with you. And um, I wanted to begin the service this morning by reading again from the book of Philippians. So if you'll take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 1. And if we'll stand together as we read God's Word, Philippians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. And we can rejoice today, can't we, that even in this unusual time, Christ is being proclaimed throughout the world in amazing ways. Far more people are listening to the word of God being disseminated, Uh, Bibles are being bought and read for the first time, and we just thank the Lord for the progress of the gospel today. Paul goes on to write, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. So Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for the privilege of being able to come together to fellowship around the Father and the Son We're so thankful that we have the ability, the technology to be able to broadcast the service um, and for the believers to be able to to join us, um, we're we're thrilled about that and um, we just thank you for that. And at the same time, we pray for those that um, don't know you, that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Um, maybe there are some even this morning that are watching that, that aren't sure what's going to happen to them when they die. I pray, Lord, that this morning your Holy Spirit would work in hearts and lives to grow believers in the grace and knowledge of your word. And, Lord, that um, today even some would come to know you for the very first time today and um, come to know you as Savior and live for you every day uh, for your glory. And so we just commit the service to you this morning. We continue to pray for those um, that have been impacted uh, by this virus. We pray for uh, those who are the first responders and for the doctors and the nurses. And we just pray your protection on them. And, and I thank you for the, the stories the, that I've been hearing about how you're working, Lord, in hospitals. And, and you're just working through this, what we describe as a tragedy. Through this tragedy, Lord, you're bringing some to yourself. And so we can thank you for that. And this morning, I just um, pray that all of us are prepared and we're ready to listen to what you have to say to us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Sing with us. In your presence, Lord, there is splendor. In your presence, Lord, we surrender. In your presence, Lord.
his name this morning the next song we're going to do is the probably the most the single most powerful hymn of the reformation movement when luther uh with luther's uh, a mighty fortress is our god and it's based on a verse in psalm 46 not a verse but on psalm 46 one of the verses says the lord almighty is with us the god of jacob is our fortress this hymn became the battle cry for uh, many of that movement. And it, it provided a great source of strength and encouragement and inspiration, especially to those who were going to be martyred for their faith. And this hymn has been translated into practically every known language on this earth as regarded as most of the most noblest and the classic of hymns within the Christian world. This hymn can also certainly be a battle cry for us today as we face spiritual warfare that may be considered unlike any other in the history of mankind. In this version, we're going to add a little chorus that says, A mighty fortress, a rock unfailing, the king of glory forever, amen, for endless ages enthroned in praises, the King of glory forever. Amen. We ask you to join us as we sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Did we in our own strength confide our 
Yeah. 
Let's all pray together, may we? Oh God in heaven, we just come to you right now just thanking you that you are our fortress. You are the mighty one. You are the strong one. God, you are the Elohim of the Bible. God, you are the one who created the heavens and the earth. As it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, the mighty God, the living God, you are here with us. And we are in your presence today as we have sung your praises, Lord, as we have prayed, Lord, as we have this uh, bad sermon that's going to be shared with us, Lord. Your word will be shared to us. And Father, we thank you for that. God, we just ask you that you would just be with us during this uh, special time. Lord, I ask you that be with every person that's out uh, listening to us today, whether or not it's in the homes of our members, whether or not it's in another state, which we know that people are listening and watching. Father, even out into the world that may be tuning in, God, we just ask you that you would touch their lives. Father, I ask you that you would send your spirit upon the place where these people are. Father, open their hearts to God's word and teach us what we need to know. But God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. Be with us now. These things we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I remember being in an auditorium with several thousand men singing a mighty fortress. Man, that sounds good. I trust you were singing out this morning. We appreciate um, the praise team. Uh, I guess praise team too, right? We can just keep having praise teams. Thank you, Lord, for you guys. And um, I want to just tell you before we start today, where we, we are wading into the deep end of the pool over the next two weeks. These messages over the next two weeks, I think, can be for you life-changing. But you're going to have to do more than just um, follow me every once in a while through the message. <laughs> you're going to have to stay with me. Because what Paul tells Timothy in these verses that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks are absolutely significant to living to the glory of God. And remember last week I asked you to do something. I said, Put yourself in the place of Timothy. Do you remember that? I know you guys remember. You have such good memories. I'm sure you remember me telling you that. I want you to put yourself in, in the sandals of Timothy because Paul, as we know, is at the end of his life and he's handing off the ministry to a young man named Timothy. And I can't imagine receiving, honestly, the letter that, that Paul wrote if I was Timothy. Uh, getting this letter and, and reading it and kind of digesting it and really thinking on it, and you're like, whoa, I mean, you guys have received, I'm sure, information like that before, maybe through a letter, or somebody's written you and, and, you, and you've read it, and then you've gone back and you've read it again and thought, well, did I, well, did I really read that right? And you go through it again, and you're reading it again, and you're like, whoa. I'm not sure how many times Timothy read this letter, but I think every time he did, it was like, whoa. Because there's just a lot to consider. And he had always had, since his, the second missionary journey, he, he had the encouragement of Paul and others who were in the ministry. And, and now Paul is relaying to him, hey, look, I'm, my time is at hand. The time of my departure has come. And um, I think 
The only analogy I could come up with would have been, been when Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm leaving you now, and where I'm going, you can't come. So I really need you to hang with me because I, I, it's probably a little more serious of a sermon uh, this week and next. But I think for the times that we're living in now, so appropriate. Um, I'm, I've, I've just absolutely been amazed at what God is doing as I'm studying through this letter. And every week I'm sitting at my desk going, oh my goodness, Lord. It's just so appropriate that we're going through uh, this book together. I want you to remember um, what we started last week together. Looking at a section of this letter, I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy if you're not already there. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in this section, verses 6 through 18, there's really kind of one theme, um, and it's being ashamed. Um, we said last week that Paul begins the section in verse 8 by saying to Timothy, therefore, do not be ashamed. And remember, we said he wasn't accusing him of being ashamed. He was merely saying to, to Timothy, hey, don't go down that road. Don't start down that road. And we're going to see uh, later on that there were some that were already down that road. And, and Paul doesn't want him to go down that road. And um, we're going to define more of what that would look like in just a few moments. Um, so he says in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me as prisoner. And then in verse 12 we have a testimony from Paul to Timothy. Because if you're going to instruct somebody, you need to be able to, as we said last week, say, hey, look, this is what's going on in my life. And he says, but I am not ashamed. Present tense, I am not ashamed. Um, and so Paul not only needed to say that to Timothy, but Timothy needed to hear that. And then Paul gives Timothy an example of someone else um, Onesiphorus, what a name, right? We're never going to forget that name. Paul says about him in verse 16, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. I want to remind you um, this morning of the definition that we talked about last week, the definition of being ashamed. And, and, and this is what it means in the original language. It means feeling embarrassment to the point that it stops one from doing something. Well, Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul did not want Timothy going down that road where he was ashamed of the witness concerning Christ or he was ashamed of Paul. So in the context, that's something we need, really need to consider that for our own lives, we would not come to the point in our life where we're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or of Christ himself or ashamed to be identified as a member of the body of Christ. But I'm quite certain that probably in our time as a believer, maybe we've had that temptation to be ashamed. Maybe we can identify with that. Maybe we haven't spoke up when we've needed to. Maybe we've just sat in silence. But it's clear from God's word that we're not to be ashamed of the gospel. And we're not to be ashamed of Christ. And so the, the word here ha has also the definition of a lack of courage to stand up for someone or something. In this context, it's standing up for the Lord and for the apostle, Paul. Um, so if you're Timothy, you're like, okay, that's great instruction, right? And you're just taking that all in. And you're going, yeah, I don't need to be ashamed. Well, hey, what's, where's some help 
in this? And um, how does that look? What keeps me from going down that road? And, and Paul doesn't leave him to his, his own to figure it out. You have to love that about the Apostle Paul. He doesn't just say, hey, look, don't be ashamed. But he gives him some prescriptions for a potential problem. And we have to say it would have been for Timothy a potential problem. You'll hear some of the why of that in a few moments. But obviously, Paul didn't want his protege going down that road of being ashamed. You know, sometimes we say about people, oh, they would never do that. You ever use that statement? Uh, She would never do that. He would never do that. I would never do that. But the reality is that we might do that if we're not where we need to be. And so it's so key to understand the prescriptions that Paul gives to his protege. First of all, you remember last week he says, stir up the gift of God. Keep using your spiritual gift. So I was thinking about that again this week. I was like, you know, um, it's such a detriment to the church when we're not using the gift. Or gifts that God has given us. And if we want to stay in the game and stay on the course and not be ashamed, we need to embrace the gift that God has given us and use it. Use it. I had a couple of texts this week from people who definitely have the gift of encouragement. Um, and, and, and it came from this particular point that we made, that Paul made about to Timothy. Keep using the gift. If you have the gift of encouragement, use it. If you have the gift of teaching, use it. You're like, well, I'm stuck in my house. You can still teach. You know, get creative. You know, send out your lessons to members in the body. They'll be like, whoa, right? There's, we're going to have to be creative in the time that we're living in. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, stir up the gift. Well, all right, that one might not have been as hard, real hard to digest, Unless you just weren't using your gift. But this next one's a tough one. He says, join the team of suffering. (laughs) How does that sound to you, right? Uh, I need to point out a couple of things here. He says in verse number 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. In other words, Timothy, that last part is really important. We'll look a little bit more at that next week. But he says, upon joining the team, you need to know that the power of God will sustain you through the suffering that's inevitable. That's the idea. Because it wasn't going to be like, hey, suffering might come, but it's coming. It's here. And so Paul tells Timothy, you need to know that the power of God is in you to sustain you through the difficult times. And how many of you could testify to the power of God in your life in the midst of suffering? Where you've handled things and people have looked at you and, and said to you, how have you done that? Well, who do we give the glory to? We give the glory to the Lord. He's the one that sustains us through hard times. I remember when my mom had cancer and just watching her go through that and, and people were asking me, hey, Thad, how are you having her live at your house? I'm thinking, well, how, what else would I do? But it was hard at times, especially toward the end. But I can testify to the power of God in my life through a difficult time. 
and you probably could too. But I want to focus in on the, the, the part where he talks about joining. <laughs> uh, he's not giving Timothy an option. Okay, He's not going, hey, Tim, if you really want to join up, great. If you don't, great. The tense of the verb conveys, do it now. Without delay. So, wow. So if we really kind of think in terms of how that works out in our own lives... We need to be willing to join the team. And, of course, on the extreme, the other side of that would be, hey, man, I, this Christian stuff, I, I want the Christian life to be easy. I, I'm for the easy road. Well, who's not for the easy road, right? How many of you are for the easy road? Sure. But the reality is, Paul's telling Timothy here, there's not an easy road. If you're going to do those things... To bring honor and glory to the Lord by advancing the gospel, you need to know. It's not an easy road. I mean, if you're on the team of Christ, you need to know now, in today's world, it's not an easy team to be on. So he tells him to do it now, without delay. Uh, How many of you are ready to join the team? There's some teams we want to be a part of. This is one where we might stop and go, wow. But I think we, in order to appreciate um, what's going on here with Paul and Timothy, Paul's not saying, look, if you want to join, join. He's saying do it right now without delay. Um, did Timothy know what was around the corner completely in his life? No. You know we don't either. You think about COVID-19, I mean, it was a surprise, right? One week it's here. I I mean, one week it's not here. The next week it's here. We're still going through it. And I think in terms of suffering for the gospel, people think, and I've done it too. I'm guilty. Well, that happens over on the other side of the world. That doesn't really happen here in the United States. I don't need to worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. This is not even relevant. I don't have to join the team. I would say, yeah, you better join. Because if you're watching what's going on in our world, and specifically in the United States, freedoms are being stripped from us. One day, it's going to matter when a man's standing behind the pulpit and proclaiming the gospel. It's going to matter in this sense. He's going to be told, stop doing that. He might be told, stop talking about the issue of abortion or homosexuality. I can see it coming. But then, in context, we're like, hey, but suffering, like physical suffering, I can't even imagine that. We couldn't imagine COVID-19, could we? But it's here. And I really believe that physical suffering, there's a generation that's going to endure that. I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. Warren Wiersbe um, tells a story of a Christian who was in prison and about to be burned at the stake. Listen, this is pretty interesting. He, the prisoner, was afraid that he would, could not endure the suffering and would deny Christ. I mean, hey, look, we, we probably, if we were facing something like that, would, would have that concern as well. Um, he was afraid that he could not endure the suffering. And Wearsby writes, One night... The prisoner experimented with pain 
by putting his little finger into the candle flame. It hurt, and immediately he withdrew it. And then he said, I will disgrace my Lord. I cannot bear the pain. Wiersbe goes on to say, but when the hour came for him to die, he praised God and was an honorable witness for Jesus Christ. He clo- I, lo- I love the way he closes the story. God gave him the power when he needed it. I mean, how many of you could testify to that? That God's given you the power when you needed it. You know, suffering is a part of the Christian life. Remember in the context, we have a man, the Apostle Paul, who knew about suffering. <laughs> he knew about it firsthand. In fact, it's interesting if you kind of follow the trail through the scriptures, um, and we have the ability to do that. We first see that in the book of Acts, he was told by the Lord that he would suffer. You remember that story, the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus? I mean, he's going to get more names to persecute the church, and the Lord stops him, and he gets saved. And look at what the Lord tells Ananias. <laughs> you could just do a sermon on Ananias. Well, what kind of assignment is this, right? This is, he was told to go to, to uh, Saul. And that's where we pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 9. But the Lord said to him, meaning Ananias, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Don't you know that time that the Lord had with the Apostle Paul in those couple of three years? That's part of it. Hey, Paul, this is how much you're going to suffer for my name's sake. I mean, listen. What are you doing if, if that happens to you and, and you had the, the window to what the rest of your life looked like and the Lord's saying, hey, look, this is what you're gonna, what's going to happen in your life. This is how much you're going to suffer. I mean, how many of you are joining the team? But Paul stayed the course, didn't he? We're going to see that later on in this letter. So he's told from the very beginning that he is going to suffer. Then in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, which is about 12 years before he writes this letter to Timothy, he says this to the Corinthian church about his suffering. Now in the context of 2 Corinthians, just a brief comment here, that letter he wrote to defend his apostleship. And in doing so, part of what he does is shares about his suffering. Notice what he says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. <laughs> in fact, sometimes when you're reading Paul, you're like, yeah, it was insane. He was insane for Christ. He says, I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Right? You pause there and you go, why 39? Well, you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, a criminal could not receive more than 40 lashes. And so, so as not to go over that, they stopped at 39. But he says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. 
I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. I mean, all right, now put yourself in Paul's life. You know, I mean, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city. Listen, don't you know that Paul understood that his refuge was the Lord? (laughs) Dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. He says, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's not such a great list, is it? That's a part of Scripture that maybe we haven't thought through much or memorized. But when you look at the life of Paul, and, and he's, he's defending his apostleship, and he says, look, this is what the Lord's allowed in my life. Now, that's a key. This is what the Lord's allowed in my life for the advancement of the gospel. That has to be the way we view suffering for the gospel. God's fully aware of what's going on. It doesn't take him by surprise that people are martyred for the faith. And so all those physical things, but then notice what he says. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. I have to stop here for just a moment and talk to the elders and to the deacons. So, buddy, I need you to listen up. The deacons should daily have in mind how can I serve the church? Now, the church being the individual members of the body of Christ. How can I serve the church? And in doing so, serve the Lord and bring honor to Him because that's what it's about. Deacons, I want to challenge you to think about that. How can I serve, even in this time, we're not able to gather together. How, how can I do that? Can I encourage both the elders and deacons as I'm talking through this? Um, let the Spirit lead you in that. I have found over the years that that is just such a great thing to do. Allow the Spirit. You know, when the Spirit puts somebody on your mind, it's for a reason. Right? I mean, it might, as you get older, one of the things you're going to find, young people, is that as you get older, you're going to find that the Lord wakes you up at 2 and 3 in the morning. And sometimes you're going to, especially when it first starts, you're going to go, oh my goodness, I want to go back to sleep. But as you get older in the faith, you recognize, you know what? Maybe the Lord's waking me up for a reason. And you know what starts happening? The Lord puts people on your mind. You know, you wake up and you're thinking about so-and-so. And you're like, why am I thinking about so-and-so? Maybe the Lord wants you to pray for him. So I would encourage you, deacons, to, to just... Allow the Spirit of God to lead you. I would encourage you elders to allow the Spirit of God to lead you. I mean, you look at all those physical things, and Paul's like, man, the daily pressure of concern for the churches. He wasn't just an evangelist. He planted churches. Elders should daily have in mind, how can I shepherd the church? You're really going to have to think about that now because you're not seeing the people every day. There's ways you can do that. Aren't we thankful for the communication that we have? There's ways to do that. Our people need to hear from their servants and their shepherds. Well, finally, within the letter itself, Paul speaks of suffering. And specifically, I want you to see how it's attached to suffering for the gospel. 
In chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and when we get to this, we'll break it down more. But he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. And notice what's next. For which I suffer hardship. If you're Timothy, right? I just, I, I want to know. I wish I knew. I want to know how many times Timothy read this letter. It just went through it and like, suffer, 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 suffer. But look at this. This is awesome. For which I suffer hardship, even to, the, to imprisonment as a criminal. But look at this. Woo! Man, if this doesn't get you going and wake you up, even these little puppets around here, something's wrong. But the word of God is not imprisoned. <laughs> you can't imprison the word of God. It's not imprisoned. People are put in prison because they disseminate the word of God. But the word of God is not imprisoned. It's, it's going out. Listen, I, I really believe this. It is going out today like we haven't seen there are people out there, and you may be one of them out there today, and you're, you're just living in fear. Can I, can I challenge you with something? Those that belong to the Lord know what it's like, hopefully, not to live in fear. Um, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I trust that today can be the day of salvation for you. And that you, you can come to know for yourself that, that God doesn't want us to be fearful. You remember in the gift he's talking about, he says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Well, he even has more to say about this in 2 Timothy. So this is a big subject. He says to Timothy, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Such as happened to me at Iconium, at Antioch, excuse me, at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. By the way, as a believer, going through persecution or suffering, your deliverance may be into the presence of the Lord. <laughs> How would that be? That'd be all right? That'd be great. He says, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. There's a key component here. All who desire to live godly. In other words, if you're going to put it out there on the... If you're going to put your life out there on the, in front to be seen. Put it on the line. To be seen by men. Eventually, you will be persecuted for your faith. He says, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might, not maybe, but will. You say, well, what was Timothy facing? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Listen to this. Timothy was already facing, along with other Christians, the brutality of Nero. Already. Let me share about some of these things that Nero did with Christians. He covered them with skins wild animal skins and put in them put them in an arena in order to be torn apart by wild dogs i can't imagine that that's what he did imagine what it must have been like to be a christian knowing that was a potential 
They nailed, he nailed, Nero had Christians nailed to crosses. He set them on fire and used them as human torches. And we have to ask the question, why was Paul so concerned? I mean, do we need more evidence than that? Why was he concerned? He was concerned because he didn't want to see Timothy get off the trail. But he was also concerned because there were real-life examples of those who did. He didn't want Timothy to be one of those. Look what it says, chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware of the fact, so Timothy was already aware of it, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Hey, guys, you know, one of the things the Lord has, in in growing me up in, in my life as a believer that he's done is, is as I'm studying his word is I'm, I think I'm less critical of people than I used to be you know I, I used to read it and like I shared with you a couple weeks ago about Thomas and I'm like he's just a doubter why'd you doubt dude um, but when I start reading it and I start really thinking about it notice what the Bible says Paul said they turned away from who him could he have said they turned away from me and the Lord Sure could have. I don't think we're dealing with unbelievers that he's talking about. I think we're dealing with believers who, hey, look, look what was going on. Scared out of their minds. They turned away from me, he says. And then he gives two specific examples, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. I mean, I have to assume that Phygelus and Hermogenes were men that knew the Lord and we're discipling. And so before we read a critical eye in this and go, well, what's wrong with these guys? I think we need to stop and, and consider the context. And how many times have we gone down the wrong road? We're not even being used as human torches or dogs coming in on us and trying to rip us apart. Um, I think we need to be really careful when we approach texts like this. I think there's another one we're going to look at in chapter 4, named Demas. It says he loved the present world, and Paul says he's forsaken me. He doesn't say he's forsaken the Lord. I believe Demas was a, truly a, a believer. I think, you know, Colossians, it's apparent that, that Demas had a part in the church. But with our, and you know how we are, let's be honest. We read with critical eyes and go, well, why did they do this, and why did they do that? And, and I'm, t- I'm here to tell you that there's going to be a generation that's going to face exactly what Timothy did. So, Paul didn't want him going down that road. And the question becomes, well, how do you encourage the guy? That's a lot of heavy stuff there. You're telling him, hey, you're going to suffer and I need you to join the team. And he's not saying, join it if you want. He's saying, do it. What did Timothy need to hear, though? It's so great. In fact... It's incredible, it's ingenious what Paul tells Timothy, and we'll look at that today and next week. First thing he tells him is the Lord's in control. (laughs) How many of you are liking that? The Lord is in control. Notice what he says, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. There's a general observation there for us that um, all of us are fully aware of. And that is that Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord several times in the New Testament. 
I've given you a couple examples. One there in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he gives you the reason there for the sake of the Gentiles. And then in Ephesians, it's interesting. When you start researching that and looking at the times where Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ or, or a, a one who is in chains for the gospel, man, there's a lot of references I'm giving you two. You can, after you eat your bologna sandwich, you can figure it out. Look up the rest of them. I don't even like bologna. Unless it's fried. Although fried bologna is really good. A little cheese on top, a little Tabasco, whatever your preference is. But in chapter 4, he uses it in the same letter again. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord. That's a little more weighty, isn't it? If you're telling somebody to do something, you're referring to yourself. I mean, he could have said, I... The apostle, he doesn't say that. I, the prisoner of the Lord. And he's talking to them about some heavy stuff in Ephesians 4. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, he's saying, this is who you are in Christ. And now he's saying, look, you want to bring honor and glory to the Lord as a member of the body, as a member of the church, do these things. And so, I mean, he's pretty hard on them. And you're like, I mean, if you're Paul, I mean, how ingenious is it to say, hey, look, I'm not just your teacher, but I'm a prisoner. Now, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. <laughs> um, so there's a general observation there, but then there's a more detailed one that I want you to notice here in this verse. Maybe you haven't thought about it before, but look at this. Note that Paul doesn't identify himself as a prisoner of Rome, but he was, right? I just love the way Paul identifies himself. He identifies himself as his prisoner. A prisoner of the Lord, which points to the confidence he had. Now, don't miss this. The confidence he had that the Lord was in control. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that the Lord is in control? Do you believe that the Lord's in control of your life? That there's nothing that happens in your life that takes our Lord by surprise? See, we just like to think we're in control. Makes us feel better, right? But the reality is, is the Lord is in control. He's in control. I had to mention this example. I was studying this last week, and I'm like, man, this is a good example of that. You remember in the context of John 19, when the Lord's talking with Pilate? <laughs> ah, man, look at this. Chapter 19, verse 11, he says, You would have, and he's talking about, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Woo! Doesn't that excite you? I mean, listen, God is in control. He's in control in what we're going through right now. He's in control. And you know what? He's using it to advance his purposes and the gospel. He doesn't owe me an explanation. And by the way, if you're out there in the audience and you enjoy fellowship of the body, hadn't you been missing that? I sure have. Face to face, although I'm getting to see Buddy's face, different kind of face. But we miss that fellowship. We do. And I was thinking, man, Lord, you know, heaven, it's about fellowship with you and with the body. But hell, 
Hell's not about fellowship. You hear people make statements like, we're going to break hell wide open and we're going to party. And no, that's not going to happen. And just as much as some of you want to get out, get out from this COVID-19, you're going to want to get out of there. And you're not going to be able to. I'm just begging you with urgency that you would see that Jesus Christ died for your sins. All of us are sinners, the Bible says. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I'm begging you to see that Christ died for our sins. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Who's the one in control of your life? Well, the Lord definitely in control. Paul saw that. I like what Wayne Barber said about this particular section. He says, Paul may have been in a Roman dungeon, which he was, but he was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus who had sovereign control of his life. You ever looked at someone's life and thought, man, Lord, do you know that that's going on? Sure you have. <laughs> yeah, you're human. We've all done that. Hey, Lord, do you, you know what's going on in my life? You know the health thing that's going on with me? Hey, Lord, you know, we're trying to get his attention. He's fully aware. I wrote in my notes, and it was mainly for me, but I get to share it with you. The Lord is fully aware of our past perfectly. The Lord is fully aware of our present perfectly. And do you know what? The Lord is fully aware of our future perfectly. Well, here's the lesson for us today. This is a difficult one. We must accept that suffering is from the Lord. You know, when I was a young believer growing up in Louisiana, I can tell you that I don't remember a time where I was challenged with this. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But I don't remember a time where I was challenged with the thought that I might suffer. Not to the detail that we're talking about with Timothy. This lesson is difficult because it demands that we handle it this way. That he allows it for a reason. Or reasons. And, listen to this, we may not know why this side of glory. We might not know. But that has to be okay. That has to be okay. We need to trust him. It's the words of the proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. (laughs) That's where the battle is, right? (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Will we always understand No, 
But I wrote something down I don't want you to forget. I'll send it to you in your notes, but I don't want you to forget it. We need to consider that our suffering is not random, but indeed it's purposeful. There's a reason for it. You know, when you think about that on a practical scale, just with what we're dealing with, um, people are watching how Christians deal with this. And let's be honest, some are handling it better than others. And I really believe that what Paul is telling Timothy here was so imperative that he would digest that and embrace that. That's why he calls himself his prisoner and not a prisoner of Rome. He wanted Timothy to know without a shadow of a doubt, hey, Timothy, God's got it. He's got it. But we also don't need to run away from the fact that suffering can happen on a level that we can't even imagine. Because as I've said a couple of times, we didn't imagine this now. What's around the corner? You know, all around the world, people are suffering for the gospel. I pulled up this week. um, There's a ministry called Open Door Ministry. And they track the rise of persecution. And they've done it for years. And in this little article, they communicate this. Our annual world watch list, which examines the 50 countries worldwide where it's most difficult to be a Christian, is the only annual in-depth survey of its kind. Now, Voice of the Martyrs puts out things as well. I would encourage you to read that. But here is the latest data. Have we heard that term many times over the last few weeks? Data. Here's the latest data we have available, and this is 19 and 20, you know, the year 2019, the year 2020, indicates that Christian persecution is higher today than at any other time in modern history. Now listen to these statistics. 260 million Christians. There's 340 to 360 million in the United States, I believe. There's 260 million Christians in the world that are experiencing high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. I remember one of the challenges for us is to put ourselves in the sandals of Timothy or these 260 million. But I think we better find the sandals. If you don't have them, go buy them. Because we're going to experience it. One in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. One in nine. Six percent, the rise in number of Christians in the top 50 countries on the 2020 World Watch List who experienced high levels of persecution from 2019 to 2020. There was a six percent rise just in a little bit of time that's gone by. There have been 2,983 Christians killed for faith-related reasons in those 50 places, those 50 countries. Hey, guys, and hey, one life's precious. We're talking about 2,983 Christians killed for being a follower of the gospel of Christ. 
3,711 Christians detained without trial. We expect a trial, right, if we're, if we're being accused of something. This is without trial. They're arrested and then they're sentenced and they're imprisoned. 3,711. 9,488 churches or Christian buildings have been attacked in 19 and 20. And we're not even halfway through 20. That's almost 10,000 churches. Six out of seven. And seven of the countries in the world watch list top ten. The primary cause of persecution is Islamic oppression. Six out of seven. In six out of seven countries. Eleven countries uh, scoring in the extreme level for their persecution of Christians. Eleven countries score in the extreme level. Six years ago, now listen to this, this is what, when I read this I was like, whoa. It's kind of like, okay. It's, it is increasing. Six years ago, North Korea was the only one. Now they're 11. And you know what? That number's not, not going to go down. It's going to go up. If you're Timothy and you're getting this letter, you're like, man, where's the encouragement? I mean, you're giving me some heavy stuff, Paul. I mean, you're, t- you're not asking me to join the team. Like, I have an option. You're telling me to join the team of suffering. Join the team of suffering for the gospel. But at the end of that, I love the way he ends that that verse. He says, according to the power of God. In other words, the Lord's going to be with you. He's going to be with you. Not only is he in control, but he's going to be with you. And we know the verses, but we we really need to, to think and meditate on these The Lord will never leave me, and he will never forsake me. How many times has that been echoed from those around the world who've really gone through suffering? I wanted to end this morning um, with something that's positive. Okay, because this is kind of hard to digest. And and we can't even imagine being on that kind of team. Because there's physical suffering that takes place. But this seems to be specific as it relates to the gospel. But... I wanted to end this morning on a positive note, um, which indicates that the Lord is definitely in control. There's a song that um, Jeremy Camp sings entitled, There Will Be a Day. And I just love the message of this song. And I want to end um, the service with this song. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to play the song, and then you guys are dismissed to eat your bologna sandwich. All right? Let's pray uh, together. Lord, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the depths of it. As we plunge the depths, Lord, we recognize that that Paul, every phrase he used had, there's meaning to it. We we can't skip over stuff. And, And so I pray that we would have that mind that Paul had for Timothy. Hey, Timothy, join the team. Join the team of suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of you, of your witness, of those who say, hey, I'm a believer in Christ and publicly proclaim that. Help us to walk side by side and encourage one another as we run the race 
for your honor and for your glory. And help us to know, just as Paul told Timothy, help us to know that you are in control. You're in control. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. No. 